Fred and Circuses. What's up, everybody? It's me, Nick Kohler. I'm Caleb Salvatore here. We've got our guest. Go ahead and introduce yourself. Hey, my name is Tom Pernicki. Yeah, we got Tom Pernicki here. Um, he is, well, I mean, he reached out to me, but I really want, I was going to actually reach out to him the same day he did. Um, but uh, how's it going, man? It's going good. So down here in Corpus right now, I work up in Austin, but uh, come down to Corpus once a month to go do my army reserve gig. And this is the weekend I get to go do that. Cool. Nice. That's you got that in a couple weeks, right? Uh, no, we did no. ours like last week. So, oh, yeah. never mind. Yeah. I'm, I'm way off of my schedule. So, <laughs> uh, yeah. So how, so you were, and you corrected me on this when I said you won a bronze star, you were awarded a bronze star. Um, yeah, how, actually Tom, uh, you should just, kind of and you know introduce your uh yourself like so your yeah. background in, in uh branch of service i i think you're in the army right i am yes yeah, so, so i joined the army back in 2005 uh went through ocs became an officer got picked up uh for armor so tanks and bradleys and all the cool stuff that blows shit up um got assigned to fort hood where i was part of the third armored cavalry regiment which Ooh, he's first cab boy over here <laughs> third cap third, third. third oh and uh, first calf came later, but uh, we did a lot of train up, went to Iraq, spent 15 months in Iraq from November of 2007 through January of 2009 out mostly first for the first year was out there in the eastern province of Diala, right next, like 30 minutes from the Iranian border. Um, a lot of bad dudes out there. In fact, that we the guys that we ended up fighting against would eventually become the genesis of ISIS. And hmm, OK. And, so yeah, you were over on the eastern border over there. You said over there by Iran, right? Yeah, yeah. Five okay. Caldwell, which was like literally thirty minutes from the Iranian border. Yeah. Um, so yeah, we we were over there and uh, we brought home as many guys as we could. We definitely fucked some dudes up over there. Um, and that was like early Iraq days too, where like there were no uh, new ROEs really. <laughs> uh, this was during the surge. We had some ROEs, but we were, we were most of the time though. The problem being is that. A lot of the assholes we were fighting, they couldn't overmatch our capabilities with tanks and Bradleys. But right there on the border, they had the old Iran-Iraq battlefields. So they would just go out there, grab some old, old anti-tank mines, throw them on the dirt roads, cover it up, and walk away. We'd hit that shit. And I don't, I don't, I don't necessarily know uh, the ar armor strength and everything of of, of uh, Abrams as well. Uh, but I know Bradley is one of their kind of commonly known weak spots. You can. Look it up online. It's a public knowledge is that they're fucking underneath them is really, really thin. So like when uh, for the people out there that aren't in the military or anything and like saying, and you know, anti-tank mines don't mean anything to you. Like with Bradley, it's uh, the armor is really thin on the bottom. So like an explosive from the bottom will fucking kill like everybody in in the Bradley. So. I, I've I've definitely heard a lot of old, you know old Iraq stories where like not a whole lot of the Abrams got fucked up, but like you could see a whole lot of smoldering Bradleys all over the place over there in Iraq. So yeah, well, we were lucky. We got the the Bradley Urban Survival Kit, the Busk, and then the Tusk, which is the tank Urban Survival Kit, the, like the Phase One or Two. Mm. So we didn't have like the full cupola protection like the guys were up in Mosul, the city, because they were taking sniper fire from up high. Mm. We were mostly in open desert and like buildings that were maybe two stories high. Um, a lot of open area. So they did put the, the, the level one kit, which has like a V shaped plate that goes in the bottom to help. So when the blast comes and hits the bottom, it deflects it out to the sides. Mm. That worked out really well. Um, we did eventually get uh, some of the M wraps when they were first coming out. And what year was that? That was 2008. 
Okay, yeah. Okay. Yeah, man, that was MRAPs like right when they were coming out. Yeah. And so we were supposed to get those in like February of 2008. But then they said, I think it was like second ID had priority because they had, they needed them more for the urban fight. Mm. So they pushed us off. And then like a month later, some of our guys got killed by an IED right underneath the damn vehicle. And uh, so that kind of suddenly like higher headquarters like, oh, I guess you guys need this shit. I'm like, oh yeah, I would have. Yeah, the MRAP, the MRAPs are, are cool because uh, everybody knows like what a Humvee looks like. But uh, MRAPs, uh, they're really high off the ground, like where everybody rides in. The wheels are humongous. It's like riding a big monster truck. And underneath is this armored, this armor that's V-shaped. So when explosions come up from underneath it, they are deflect like the all the blast goes yeah. around the vehicle and okay. like the most that people get hurt in MRAPs from explosions is like what nine times out of ten from the vehicle rolling over and people getting hurt. But like, well, you yeah, know, it's yeah. like in the, in the Gulf War when they lost more troops to fucking traffic accidents yeah. than they did to actual combat. Yeah, <laughs> the, those and the, the weird thing about the MRAPs too is like now that the military is kind of like trying to get out of like insurgencies right now mm -hmm. like they don't know what to do with all these fucking mraps that they spend all this money on i'll buy one <laughs> i mean like the thing is is they're not really like that practical in uh in like a conventional fight i mean their yeah. their use is supposed to be for like rear type stuff like what a, a vehicle like some like a jeep would be used for in world war ii you uh -huh. know like driving in, on behind the line and everything and like uh -huh. they're so fucking beefy in armor that they're just really expensive for that role and like yeah i mean yeah conventional warfare you don't typically see as much ied usage and everything like if you look at like stuff going on in like maybe the ukraine which is like the best example of like a conventional yeah, fight right now. Me. yeah yeah so the military is just like, dude, what the fuck do we do with all these MRAPs? <laughs> <laughs> well, in, in 2011, my platoon was back over for a second. Like, it was actually like one of the last tours they did over in Iraq before it became uh -huh. and New Dawn or whatever. And no joke, like, they, because they had all this excess equipment, in particular MRAPs, they literally drove them out into the desert, put the keys in there, and just walked away. Yep. <laughs> really? <laughs> Right. They kind of they like they were selling them to the taxpayer uh, money. Right? They they were selling them to like the Iraqi army in like you know late two early two thousand tens and everything like the teen oh, years and then ISIS just stole all of them. That's how they got all their fucking armored vehicles was because they for took real? them all from the Iraqi army back in like 2013, 2014. Yeah. Huh. I guess that makes sense though. Yeah. Well, that's yeah. Anyway, go ahead. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> Speaking of ISIS, so I was in Afghanistan in two thousand fourteen when the whole ISIS thing kicked off. Yeah. We were reading some of the reports, and there were entire Iraqi armor brigades, like tons of tanks, that heard that ISIS was coming. They had tanks, but they were, these guys are such chicken shits. They just they fled. That they just abandoned their vehicles. Were asking locals in the, in the area, like, "Hey, can you give me some clothes? I gotta get the hell out of here. I don't want to get killed." So they just left all that equipment, including tanks, to ISIS. Oh my yeah. god! The that was Ira Iraqi guys. Yeah, yeah, that was the Iraqi yeah. army. Oh my god! Yeah, because ISIS, happened. ISIS had a, they got a lot of money uh, from whoever the fuck they got it from. I, I don't know, hundred percent. Soros. Yeah, wherever the fuck. Uh, and then, uh, yeah, they they like they were well better trained than the Iraqi army. And anytime they would fight, like they fucked the Iraqi army up because like we weren't helping the Iraqi army at that point. We were like fucking gone, man. How did the ISIS thing? start like did a bunch of guys just get together and like fucking regroup after al-qaeda and like we're yeah. gonna fuck these guys up or like from yeah. from, I, from what i know it's like one of the guys from al-qaeda but when so when we were there there was a village south in our area of operations that right. we went we started we, we focused mostly in the east and then at, well, probably 
summer of 2008 decided to start pushing south because we hadn't gone south a whole lot. Mm -hmm. We knew that these were down there and they'd come out and kind of fuck around with us in the east, but then they'd just retrograde back down the south. So we started to start pushing south and flushing them out. Well, we found like some of these villages abandoned. When I talk like abandoned villages, like motherfuckers took the power lines when there was nothing there. And in one of these villages, my buddy's platoon, they found one or two CDs in the dirt. They turned it over to our intelligence guys who watched it, and it was these terrorist guys that had uh, taken an old woman that was mouthing off to them or whatever. And she was cursing him saying, you know, Allah won't forgive you for what, all the shit you do. And basically they beheaded her in, in front of everybody in the village oh, to intimidate them. Um, we started working with some of the locals there to set up what I guess you, we would call it like a neighborhood watch program. And it was called the sons of Iraq. So just local volunteers would come and uh, the Iraqis would give them like an official uniform, like a shirt and they try to supply them weapons and they would help provide extra security because the police and the army were stretched so thin and there's only so mm -hmm. much we could do. Well, they came into one of these villages after we had had these recruiting uh, events and they snatched up this one guy, his wife and his one year old baby. And to prove a point, beheaded all of them in front of everybody. And these guys kept doing shit like this. The, and the, eventually, like the Al Qaeda dudes that were like in charge said, hey, fuckers, you all need to calm this shit down because you're going to be a little out there. And they said, fuck off. And these are the guys that we were fighting that would eventually become like the genesis of ISIS. Mm -hmm. so, so they're like crazier than Al Qaeda. They were like the craziest of Al Qaeda. Yeah. They, they got more people. A lot of people don't like, uh, like you know, prior to, or contrary to uh, popular belief, most people in Iraq don't like ISIS. They right. like, and they probably well, it's like a dictatorship. Yeah, they probably directly had some family member known somebody that's been like fucking murked by them right like, or something because they're so islamic like fundamentalists like yeah 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 one of our interpreters he uh he lived in a city not too far from where we were and his brother got killed by al-qaeda so when he wasn't mm -hmm. being an interpreter for us he was back home with his wife and his kids but he was also gathering information on al-qaeda operatives he'd find out where they live go get his gun go to the house knock on the door verify their identity then shoot him right in the face like dead dude so he was a vigilante because oh my god that's pretty badass are. though yeah we had another guy <laughs> there's another guy his nickname was van damme because they all had code names because a lot of <laughs> but this guy is van damme and i still keep in touch with this he's a christian kurd so he's a super awesome dude he has all these scars on his face and so if you ask him the story like dude what happened how did you get your name he says you see these scars We're like yeah he's like well i found the guy that gave me these like some kind of a, an explosion or a fight or some shit like that so i tracked this guy down so like, he hiked three days through the mountains to where this dude lived in his house and this dude's specialty was the rpg that he would take the nose cone off the rpg and put more benzene in there for a bigger fireball so he trekked three days to the mountains found this dude lived every morning this dude come outside stretch kind of watch the sunrise so old boy comes out one morning he's stretching the, the, you know seeing the sunrise and stretching and enjoying it and our guy fires this rpg in there blows him the fuck up and oh my him. god <laughs> that's fucking <awesome. laughs> that's a way to go out man Our rpgs aren't like they are in video games like you can oh. accurately shoot an rpg up to like fucking to like almost two miles and like hit something with oh, it in yeah. real life yeah oh really mm. Yeah, if you're if you're more than five uh, five hundred meters at the max you know, max efficient range, but really you want to be like maybe two hundred meters away because because they're not they're not aerodynamic or accurate. The, the the problem the problem with them is that they're mm. they're like cheaply made right and yeah. just mass produced. All right. Like normally, like yeah. yeah. So normally they they are, they are really accurate. Like I mean, uh, ISIS like back in like 2015, we would keep getting intel about like 
Yeah, ISIS had these fucking RPG snipers that literally yeah. could hit somebody from two miles away with an RPG. Yeah, Jesus. That what happens why they have the reputation for being inaccurate is because uh, when they when they fire right that that rocket comes mm -hmm. out, three fins come out, sort of stabilizing fins. I think it's three or it's four, one, right. one or the other one. Uh, they come out as it shoots mm -hmm. and some rounds are just so cheap or like they're literally from like the sixties that mm -hmm. not all the fins come out all the way. So they right. just like, you know, go where the fuck off. Right. So yeah, they're, they're actually, if they weren't like so cheaply made and everything, they, yeah. yeah, they can fire pretty accurately. So. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah. And you, you talk about shit that's not accurately depicted properly in movies. First yeah. off, the, the damage that military grade weaponry does the human body generally is not reflected properly in the movies because like movie more or less more more i think like some of the things you see in say private ryan that opening sequence of the dudes with their guts hanging out that was pretty legit our yeah. first firefight was in early february of 2008 and the way it kind of broke down was we went in to go talk to the shake of this one village he's one of the like, major power players out there and while we were talking to him it was you know me and the commander and, and a bunch of, we had a bunch of other guys there and they were again. They were trying to look, talk. They were trying to do uh, the visual and uh, fingerprints and the retina scans of a lot of the like the military age males to see if any of them popped up for you know wanted terrorists. Right. While we were talking to the sheikh, his son said, "Hey, I used to be a member of Al Qaeda. I can show you where they're at." And so we're like, "Can you now?" <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty cool. So we, we got like a, a military uniform disguised, and we left a bunch of the guys back there. It was me, the commander, and like a couple of gun trucks. And he took us. It took us a while to get those way out there. And he said, "Yeah, these these guys get together every Friday night at this one dude's house. They have dinner. <laughs> they, they plan their they plan their attacks. This is where we can go to. This, this happened. Do you guys call him? Uh, do you guys call him Dirty Mike and the Boys? <laughs> no. <laughs> but but uh, this is happened to be Friday, so we're like, wait, these assholes are going to be there today. So mm -hmm. we go rolling up. Um, the guy says, "Okay, that's the house." Well, it's daylight, so they see us and they start trying to. They start fleeing, and I'm like, "Let's go! Let's go! Fuck these guys up!" The commander's like, "Nope, we don't have you know three to one odds, which is what we need. So let's just pull back, and you know we'll call the Brads." I'm like, "Well, shit! By that time, they'll all be gone." So we pull back to the Iraqi Army Castle, several miles down the road. It was a castle, but it was just their compound. Um, it was too far for the tanks to go, so we get the Brads up there. The tankers show up at Humvee, so it's kind of role reversal. And then the commander pulls the, you know, I won't say pulls a fast one, but he says, Do you remember how to get up there? I'm like, Yeah, I think so. All right. Well, I want you to be in the, in the back of the lead Bradley using the gunner's auxiliary site, the little thermal thing. So you'll see what the, gu the gunner sees. I want you to lead the entire column of vehicles up there. I'm like, Holy shit. So now <laughs> that, the only thing I can see, because, you know, Bradley's dark inside, there's no windows. All I can see is a little screen about this damn big. And mm -hmm. I'll try to guide this entire column of vehicles, and we're going and going and going. Bradley's a little bit slower than, say, Humvees. And eventually, we found the target house. Um, but we, our driver got off road somehow because we were blackout. So we're hitting these freaking big ass, we're getting thrown around the back of this Bradley. He's hitting these big ditches and shit. <laughs> <laughs> and bad it, it was bad enough that I said, Hey, can we go white light? And so the commander's, Okay, fine, let's prevent injury. We go white light, and of course, the, the sentries on this building, like, Holy shit. So they start trying to flee. And that's when the shit kicked off. And one of the most beautiful things I've ever seen was in the they, they, they uh, the Bradley commander whose vehicle is in says, hey, these guys have guns. Can we shoot them? Like, do they have guns? Well, fuck it. Yeah, well, then light them up. They were jumping. A bunch of dudes. It's like a goddamn clown car. A bunch of dudes jumping into like the back of an S10 pickup truck. <laughs> and on the screen, I'm watching our Bradley and two others fire. Like perfect triangulation of rounds hitting the back of this damn thing and lighting it up. And dudes are jumping like, how the fuck are you all surviving? <laughs> <laughs> but the firefight ensues. Dudes get lit up. 
and then afterwards uh, we go to get out and uh, there's one guy still alive and I get, I get called up to go with the commander and the informant to go <laughs> identify these assholes. Mm-hmm. And the first dude that we see, like his torso is facing this way, but his legs are twisted and facing the opposite way. And his guts are all just strewn along the ground, like for I don't know, like 50 feet. And I'm like, damn. So that's what the Bradley's 25 does. The parents like, Oh hell no, man. He says, that was just a, the 7.62 machine gun. If it was a 25 Bradley, my uh, main gun, there'd be nothing left. Yeah, like, Jesus. Fuck. And we did find like a dude's arm or legs. Yeah, that's what the Bradley does. So that was that was my first exposure to like what military grade weapon really does to the human body. Like I've I've, I've heard that uh, that uh, when like when say like a, a Bradley round hits or like maybe someone got blown up by a mortar or something like that, yeah. right? It's uh, everyone always says that the thing that'll survive though is like a fully intact face, and that's yeah. it. Really, and then a dick. <laughs> You'll see a dick, just like I, I've seen pictures from engagements. I think it was actually a fifty cal when my guys fired into a car that's fleeing. And yeah, there's like just some dude's face laying on the floor. Yeah. Oh my god. Because uh, I I used to be friends with a guy, and he told like the most fucked up story he ever told me about yeah. being over in Iraq was that they had to go on a detail to go pick those body parts up, right? right. And they were just like grabbing the faces because these guys were infantry guys. Yeah. So <laughs> I'm oh sure Tom can Yeah, they were grabbing the faces and going like, oh, look at me. I'm oh, wacky, that's dude. pretty <laughs> fucked up. That's pretty desensitized. <laughs> oh, oh, well, yeah, there was a, the guy that tra- he he almost got the We were five days away from the end of combat operations. We're talking December, early December 2008. And we were going out to this uh, village. These supposed to be abandoned homesteads on the west side of Mosul in the mountain ranges. Last time anybody up there was like 101st had been up there like eight months before they found a bunch of munitions stashed away. So like, we're going to go up there. We'll take half the troop on the east side of the mountain range, half the troop on the west side. We'll go up there and, and check things out. Okay. Well, within like 10 minutes, the commander realized he had too many people for where we were at on the west side. He says, Hey, I'm going to take a bunch of the Humvees, go up in the hills and check things out. You've got some, you'll have some of your scouts or some of the scouts and, and like some of your tankers. And just go check these places out. And a lot of these abandoned homesteads, a lot of it collapsed, you know, just weren't much of anything there, or they're just abandoned. So uh, I forgot that we had a Bradley or two with us. We had a couple of gun trucks, but we had a couple of Bradleys too. And we're just kind of, okay, hey, Sergeant Johnson, you take your guys over here and go check this one. I'll go check this one. Well, as we're approaching this one house, I see a truck parked outside. And it's so, it'll kind of give you a little idea. So it was kind of like a long mud hut, but it's, you know, only one story. Um, had a low wall in the front yard, as we call it. It was probably like maybe knee high or so. That was like a wall. That's a big yeah. Wall. To, to kind of put it in the perspective of the people yeah. that have never been there, too, like right. it, imagine like Tatooine. Like that's what this shit was. <laughs> oh, okay. The Star yeah. Wars? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so we're, as we're approaching, I said, Hey, Sergeant Johnson, go check out that abandoned, that destroyed homestead over there. We'll, and because we see this kid walking out of the house, like, we'll talk to these guys up here. Well, as I'm walking up to the truck, there's some chickens in the yard. Um, I kick a couple of my guys around the back and say, hey, you know, go up and see if there's anything back over there. As I'm approaching, there's like a, a large semi-dried pool of blood next to the truck. I'm like, well, damn, someone get hurt. So, uh, and there's three doors. There's one like right on this end of the house, one maybe like five feet away from it. And there's one about 20 feet down. So it's three rooms to this house. And that last one actually like a sheet metal door. So we approached the first, you know, this kid that was probably about 12 and walked out, walked out of the first room fast. Like, where the hell's he going? Well, there's like, a, we look in the room, standing outside, there's like a couple of little kids or maybe like five or four or something like that. Maybe two yeah. 
couple of them, pregnant lady sitting right behind them. And the room, you know, kind of goes back and off to the right and it's dark. So I'm telling my interpreter standing right next to me, like, hey, you know, ask him if someone's hurt. You know, we've got a medic here. So he's dark and dark and dark and dark. And uh, <laughs> the kids were terrified. I'm trying to show my blue eyes, trying to get because they're, they're shaking. And we're like, it's okay, guys. We're just here. We're here to help. And my guys, I had two of my guys say, hey, there's a guy in the room. I'm like, where? He's back in the corner. I'm like, oh, hey, Mike. That was our interpreter. Mike, tell him to come on out. We'll see if everybody's okay. Darker, darker, darker. And I hear this pop fizz sound. I'm like, and I'm, I'm like, what the fuck was that? Yeah. And my my staff sergeant goes, grenade. And I, I happen to catch something like corner of my eye, and right in between my foot and Mike's foot is this smooth metallic grenade. Oh shit. And I'm thinking, why the fuck did Press throw a grenade? There's kids right here. But then I remembered that there was an incident the week previous where because we were getting ready to the end of combat operations, we we're supposed to turn all of our, our extra munitions in. And we were out of patrol and Perez goes, Hey, sir, I forgot I have this flashbang. Can we just pull the pin and throw it? I'm like, do it. So I'm like, wait, that's not ours. And I'm like, oh, shit. <laughs> so I'm looking on this, jump on it, run, jump on it, run, jump on it, run. I look up and everybody's gone. Like elbows and assholes gone. I'm like, oh, it's fucking time to go. And so I turn to run. And one thought is going through my head. I got kind of a big ass. You know, I got, <laughs> you know our side of the family okay we got some big asses over there right yep <laughs> I'm, laugh, I'm laughing as i'm running away because i'm like this is i'm laughing going this is gonna hurt but in my head it's like they're all gonna laugh because they're gonna say what an easy target it was so <laughs> yeah, blow my ass off <laughs> oh yeah i get around the corner before it goes off and i can't hear shit now my my, my hearing's fucked and i look around the side of the front of the house again and i see a bradley of the turret swinging i'm like yes and then I look back behind the house and I see the guys I kicked around the back jumping behind a bird. I'm like, no, because <laughs> they're right in the line of fire. So I run around back and I'm going, get clear of the house, get clear of the house. And they're yelling some shit. And I can't quite hear them. I said, get clear. I got to give the Bradley a clear line of fire. And I hear, pop, 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 pop. and I'm like, what? The? And the medic goes, he's shooting through the house. And I turn around and, the, and like the dirt wall, like arms like the way he's going. And I'm like, oh shit. So, I estimate where the shots are coming from and I figure, okay, this should be about above the kid's head, your height level and start shooting back. Yeah. And then the shots stop. I'm like, Oh, Hey, yay. So go to the North side of the house. My guys are up there talking. I'm like, what the fuck happened? And I see some dude lay on the ground. I'm like, and they go, no, no, he's dead. He's dead. I'm like, who the fuck? Is That's the guy that threw the grenade. I'm like, Oh, so I guess what it was to kind of summarize, the guy had been in Abu Ghraib and a, one story told us he escaped and those said he got let go, but he was, he had come back. He'd been in there for like two years. His wife was like seven months pregnant. <laughs> yeah. And then uh, he was going back into town every day to his Al Qaeda buddies and was planning on being a suicide bomber. So they gave him a Glock nine mil and a grenade for defense. He thought that we were coming up there to arrest him. So he declared oh. jihad. That's why his kid left is his son left. And uh, so he, he saw us declare jihad through the grenade that was that pop fizz because we pulled the pin hit hit our interpreter in the shoulder and went right between our feet i never saw that shit. and yeah what kind of grenade was it? was it like an old like russian one or something or it was, what it was just like a gunmetal gray metallic grenade just smooth like no it wasn't like the pineapple one like we have yeah so i'd never seen that shit. i'm like oh but uh yeah so after the grenade went off he came out shooting at my my guys with the with the glock and they lit his ass up what it was those rounds coming through the back of the house was one of my guys shooting and it was going through so 
Thankfully, we didn't have a fratricide incident. Yeah, that's fucking crazy. <laughs> yeah, so that was uh, that was fun to say the least. Yeah, you can <laughs> you can never you can never assume like what those guys had or even still have like because uh, they just get like all this ramshackle ass yeah stuff. Like you'll see them with like Soviet fucking, Union shit. You'll see them, dude. You'll see them with like German pineapple masher grenades. Oh really? Yeah, you'll see them with like fucking like gun like World War Two era Japanese stuff. Yeah, really? yeah. Where do they get it from? They fucking find Pawn get shops. it. Yeah, well, they just get it, man. Yeah, <laughs> right. Because they don't I mean a lot of those elements out there didn't have major funding, mm. um, so they would just off the black market get whatever they could afford. Get we were in an interesting it. spot because directly east of us was Iran, and they were supporting and funding Jaysh al-Mahdi or Jam. Jam, right. Jam had a headquarters right across the street from our our fob in this brick factory. We knew exactly where they were, and I'm like, let's go fuck these guys up. And they said, first off, no, stop. We're not going to fuck them up because Al-Qaeda and Jam don't get along. Al-Qaeda are the Sunnis and Jam was the Shias. Al-Qaeda was fu- trying to fuck us up. And so Jam's like, hey, look, let's let them do that and leave the Americans alone. So they focus on each other. Well, at the same time, Jam would go and fuck around with Al-Qaeda. So it's kind of a complex uh Situation. Yeah, the, yeah. I, you ever you, you I, know that meme picture where it's like the guy from uh, Always Sunny from Philadelphia, and he's like pointing at the camera or the chalkboard, and it's yeah. like oh, you know the, the yeah, thing. Yeah. yeah well, this, that's like uh, yeah. So this group doesn't like this guy, but these guys well, are fighting these I, guys. I, that's what we, we talked about in an episode before. Um, I've tried to grasp Middle Eastern politics and like the, the alliances and the warlords. I fucking can't do it. I'm yeah. I oh, I would have to dedicate my. That would have to become my day job if I wanted to begin to do that. It, it, it's a shit show. Thank you, Britain, for the for what happened in the 1920s and redistricting and drawing maps that divided tribes. That that worked out well. So well, we bash England on here all the time. So that's <laughs> don't, don't be wrong. The Brits are cool. I've I've made a couple of good friends in the British Army that you know, I run into. They're good people, but yeah, that whole thing that they did back in the 1920s to kind of like make the country of Iraq that ooh, they didn't do that right. It's like, who? Let's go back in time and unfuck that. Yeah, pretty much the history of the Middle East since British colonization is like, well, I mean, you can't even say that because, like, the fucking the back in the medieval days, they yes. they were fucking they were always they were fighting people too. Yeah, they've been just fighting like forever over there. Right. Yeah, you got, the, you got the Sunnis and the Shias, Iraq. You know, it was kind of a uh, a proxy war between between the Sunnis and the Shia. And mm-hmm. then they got the Kurds thrown in, who are a minority group, but they're actually pretty fucking cool. But we can't officially support them because they are the minority group, but we piss off a lot of like the, the majority groups. And right. and they have a terrorist cell that like fights Turkey. Too. Where does uh <laughs> where does Hezbollah fit into that? Are they're, they their Hezbollah is is, is like a government? They're they're like a Syrian minority group, right? That uh, from what I understand, it's yeah, it's not Iraq. That's somewhere over by Israel and all that. Okay. Oh, yeah. so that's part of the Palestine thing. Okay. Hez- Hezbollah is like Hez- Hezbollah is like the more eastern, like more towards the Mediterranean Sea area. Okay. They're like a minority and group. That, there. That's affiliated with Hamas too, right? I think or Hamas is, that, is just another terrorist another group? group. They're Who's just another. Hold on a second. I don't even know at this point. Yeah. <laughs> Hamas. Well, Hezbollah is like is is old. They've been around since like the nineties, yeah. and they want to. From what I understand, is they kind of like they have ties with I I uh, like. Uh, with like ISIS and they have mm-hmm. ties with they had ties with Al Qaeda and everything, but yeah. like they were more of uh, the guys that like like right now Hezbollah are, are like the one of the guys trying to overthrow the, the Saudi government mm-hmm. right now. So like yeah, and, that's that's a whole other sticky situation. Yeah, that whole thing <laughs> is yeah, like it, 
it's all fucked up over there. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> there's a lot of people fighting each other, and you're just and like, don't that, know. That, in, that, that influence from groups like Al Qaeda spread to the country. So, like in the Philippines, like my wife's from the south down there, and they've got the Muslim women that walk around like in the full ninja kits and yeah, do the beards. Like, so when, on the rare chance that I go there, like the last time I went there was December 2012. And as we get off the plane, you know, we had rented like a private van to you know, bring the family back and forth. And like, we need to get the fuck out of here because all the Muslims look and say, who's the foreigner? Where is he going? Where is he staying? Like, yeah, we need to get the fuck out of here now. What was Dude. the there was a city and it was in the Philippines. It was just recently. It was really bad with terrorism. Well, like, they were taken they, over. Or there was like, like an ISIS cell there and there. Yeah. Their Filipino military was like open war in yeah, the streets. In the city. Yeah, yeah, it was like street house to house fighting, like an actual yeah crazy. fighting so, in the Philippines. There was Marawi a couple of years ago where that, where that all happened. Mm. Um, that's probably about two to five. I think it's two hours away from my wife's home city. And uh, yeah, there was, they, they were finding dudes in her home city, like you know, they managed to escape or managed to pass through and the, the cordon, the Philippine military had set up. So they're finding dudes like in hotel rooms with bullet wounds and legs and such. So it's, yeah, it's pretty dangerous down there. When I went there last time, I had to get permission from the first one star in my chain of command. I had to get permission from the first one star over in the Pacific command. Um, and then from there, I had to call into Joint Special Operations Command, Philippines, every day. A caller texted by 10 o'clock to study. I know I'm okay. Just to go on vacation. Just to go on vacation. Yeah. That's fucking so, crazy. And, and it, it, we, it's it's like we blanket them terrorist cells, but like they think themselves as freedom fighters. They think fighters. freedom fighters. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So like, they see themselves as a resisting American influence. I mean, like Western when you're influence. like fucking using like little kids as human shields, though, how can you really consider yourself to be the good guy? I mean, I'm not going to come on here and defend every U.S. military expedition or anything like that. But like, you're like, you're beheading old ladies, like you were talking about earlier. It's like, how can you really be like, yeah, we're on the right side of this? They they look at us and they go like, how dare you use women in your military? Like, how dare you do that? How dare you not have prayer oh, every really? day? Yeah, okay. like that. I mean, that it's just cultural differences. Cultural, a lot of that's driven because they are very much more religious minded. Yeah. Um, they take shit to an extreme. That's one of the reasons why I am totally against organized religion, just because it's a form of mind control. And then people can justify heinous acts in the name of their religion. Absolutely. Yeah. And uh, that's a big part of the, and especially Catholicism or anything, but I've made enough Catholic church jokes on this show. I won't go any further. Yeah, the uh, Catholic church definitely does not have the best history. Give sure. Sure. I, I, used, I used to be an altar boy back in the day. You know, back because I was raised Catholic, but one day I, I woke up and said, you know, it's kind of hypocritical, and uh, I gave up being Catholic for Lent one year and realized I was better <laughs> off without it. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it, it turns out I know they released recently like a list of like all the known pedophiles they've had within the ranks over the years, and there was there's huge- more. There's more than they're releasing. You know, there was a huge bust in Omaha. It was like four or five guys just like a couple months ago. Mm. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. It, it, what, and it's so, dating back to like the eighties. Oh, it's been like I don't know, fifteen or twenty years. Like one of the dudes that came through when I was one of the like the head altar boy back in the day. Turns out the dude was you know a boy toucher or something like that. Now I'm kind of torn here. It's like on one hand I'm grateful he didn't do anything to me, but at the same time I have self confidence. Like why wasn't I good? Enough? Right. Yeah. <laughs> it's like was that was, was I, I not good enough to molest? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's funny. Well, yeah, I, I think it. I think the Catholic Church is just like anything else where it gets too big. You know, absolute power corrupts absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. So they just get too big, man. They're well, gonna yeah, you give anybody their own city. It's gonna go to their yeah, fucking no, exactly. You know what I'm man. saying like, <laughs> well, well look, look, at they, look at they did hundreds of years ago. 
because I, I studied a lot of sh like history shit in college. Um, mm -hmm. But they they would come back and they'd say, "Oh, look, this person's a heretic," and they would just accuse people that were like rich, wealthy landowners. And if the other person couldn't justify or pay off the church, then they would just confiscate all their land and wealth. And I mean, that was kind yeah. Of the, the Catholic Church excommunicated was it Galileo, who uh, one of one of the real one of the real famous like first astronomers that like basically yeah. had kind of like proved that the earth was round. Like the Catholic church, like basically like ruined his life. Was, he said the earth was not the center of the galaxy. I think it was. Yeah. I th was it Galileo? Or was it Da Vinci? I don't even know. It wasn't, da, it wasn't Da Vinci. Uh, yeah, I don't remember. Well, the yeah. One of those yeah, guys, man, and Jamie <laughs> Copernicus, maybe. I don't know. One of those guys, one of those old like Renaissance era guys. Yeah. And, and, I think, you know, a lot of the bad stuff for, for religion, it should get called out, but it does do some good things too. I yeah. mean, they, they help homeless people and kids and stuff like that. And I think it's important to point that stuff out, but absolutely they do do a lot of just yeah. negative shit. So much violence you, and hatred. And you don't see bad stuff generally happening from like the small little town no. church. Like you hear it from like, you know, way high up in like the Catholic fucking like Whoa. kingdom thing what was, going on. Who was that douchebag that runs that mega church? Joel Osteen. Yes, that yeah. like wouldn't let the flood victims. Yeah, in back in Houston. Houston. Yeah, he like wouldn't <laughs> let him into his multi-million dollar yeah. church. Well, my wife's a Buddhist, and I I have yet to meet a Buddhist that's really an asshole. I mean, they're just very mm. kind people, and they interesting philosophy on the way of, of life and such and so my my wife wants to raise our daughter as a buddhist and after she explained i'm like yeah cool with me go ahead they I do really, have a very positive outlook mm -hmm. on things and you don't have to necessarily from what i understand you don't have to necessarily be like super religious it's more of like a pathway of life am i correct yeah, on that absolutely. yeah, and yeah. The, the kind of the core tenet is you know treat other people how you want to be treated but whatever you do to other people will come back on you three times over that's kind of like the core tenet Okay, so like karma, yeah. Well, the, the kar karma, karma is a little bit different than what what people kind of you know mainstream think it is. Like karma is more of like it, it's actually it's not my it, name is Earl. It, yeah, it's a lot more of a philosophical thing. Like your body, because it's karma comes back from a Hindu thing, which I've read up a lot on Hinduism because right. I really like Hinduism. Yeah. And karma is like uh, you things that you do all the time, like parts of your of yourself that are your character, right? Right. And uh, or no, excuse me. Uh, uh, dharma or is what like per permanent things about your character, right? Like yeah. the things that you always do, like the like if you wake up early, right, or you wake up late, that's your dharma. Okay. And karma is you can't you can't change those dharmas. You mm -hmm. can't change those permanent things about you unless you do things small to ever to change them, right? Like right. That, th that's karma. So like waking up early one day is karma. Mm -hmm. If you want to change your dharma to wake up earlier. Waking up early one day is karma. Also oh, karma. Okay. So, so yeah, you change, you do the, the karma a bunch of go good karma. Do right. the good things a bunch of times, and your dharma will well, like change. Like if you go out and you fuck some other girl when you're married or something, then that's negative karma. That's, but yeah. if you only do it one time, but still it's negative. Yeah. Okay. Like you need to, you need to, you need to do to, it basically, and it's not really as much of like positive and negative. It's yeah. more like changing. So like your dharma maybe is like. Uh, like working out, right? Right. You didn't start out, or maybe you did, but like you are, maybe your dharma is that you don't work out and you want to change your dharma to work, be it. Workout okay. guy. It's karma of that way of like right. working out every day, you know, or like waking up that first day. That's I, uh, good karma. I attempted to study um, Hinduism in community college for a project. It was a group project. We got there and we got thrown out because 
the one of the girls in my group decided to eat a cheeseburger at the Hindu temple. Oh my god! And I'm like, that is the one fucking animal in that religion that you cannot touch. That's not and you even, eat it at their temple. That's not even really <laughs> like the. I mean, it is ingrained in the religion, but like, I mean, there's people that aren't Hindu that live in like India or Pakistan or something they that won't touch they won't touch cows. Too. Really? Yeah, Isn't that's it illegal culture. though. I, I'm not sure, okay. but I know it's a it's a total cultural thing. Like uh, it'd okay. be like that'd be like if somebody went into a fucking like just an English class at regular university and just like pulled out of a fucking train was like, look, this is my dog and cat burger. Here, oh yeah, dude. yeah. Okay. Everybody be like, the fuck out of here, dude. You eating dog and cat? Yeah, in that's here? disgusting. Yeah, this isn't Venezuela. <laughs> <laughs> that would be garbage. This is this is my Venezuelan food, and there's nothing, nothing on the there. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's fucked up. <laughs> yeah, you want to talk about something funny? Is or karma? So that that one dude from the firefight that we captured alive. That initially, our our higher command said, hey. Drop that guy and the and the corpses of all the dudes you guys whacked over here at the Iraqi that uh, Dima Castle. The Iraqi yeah. Iraqi. So we went and dropped them off, and they're all pissed. Like, what are you? What are you gonna do? It's like, hey, it's your countryman. Fucking figure it out. We're out of here. <laughs> and then, like, ten minutes later, the command comes back and says, "Hey, that that guy you captured. Go back. Go back and get him and, and bring him back. We want to interrogate him." So one of my buddies had to take his platoon back up there, and they. <laughs> He was very happy to come back to U.S. custody because in like the 15 minutes he was there, they had beaten him savagely, and as my friends or the official reports had violated him rectally. Oh damn! Oh Hell god. yeah! Oh my god! <laughs> <laughs> Who did my, that? My friend, my friend walks in. They were going like they were going to town on this dude. Who did this? Oh. this? This, the Iraqi army guys were doing this to like the one Al Qaeda guy we captured. It's a different world over there. Yeah, you it's... imagine you get like fucking in trouble at work and yeah. your boss just fucks you in the ass, literally. Like it's just like, all right, <laughs> get over there, Caleb. <laughs> yeah, you won't do that again, will you? Yeah, he, he, he was happy to come back to uh, to our custody to save you, <laughs> dude. So uh, I'll I'll tell this story. Uh, my first deployment, I never actually like went into the, any of those areas, but I did go to Africa, uh, two thousand. 15 time frame like africa was really popping off like there was a lot of uh we were mostly doing operations against uh something called al-shabaab which is like a, a kuwaiti or a kuwaiti excuse me a, a somali terrorist cell that was had pledged to, uh to isis because you were in a horn right mm -hmm. yeah, yeah right okay. right we're like somalia kenya yeah. all those areas so uh like uh what sudan uh, yeah. or no not sudan uh Fucking whatever is like north of that uh i don't know uh, whatever don't have the map on me but yeah <laughs> it escapes me but so uh, they fucking those Somali dudes, the Al Shabaab had just gotten fucking done shooting up a uh, a university in like uh, Mombasa or something oh, like Mogadishu? that. No, no uh, Mogadishu? No, Mogadishu's in Somalia. That's it was one of the okay. it was one of the cities in in Kenya, like like Mombasa okay. or Lam, uh, whatever one, right? Right. Uh, so the, the one Obama was born in. I don't know, <laughs> but no, I mean the Kenyans were super cool, man, and like they would go over there and they would just go and kill Christians all the time. So like. The Kenyan military goes and responds to that, right? And they come back to our base, and they've got a fucking a, like a POW, right? Like a right. or an EPW, we call them. They they have a, a like an enemy guy that they captured, and he is like you know he's got a little man dress on, it's real skinny dude, mm -hmm. uh, got a little burlap sack over his head, right? Yeah. And he starts getting a little froggy with them, like trying to struggle as they get him off the helicopter. Yeah. And like this Kenyan MP guy, and they've got uh uh like different like rifles they got like belgian rifles mm -hmm. or something like that different ones we use but it looks kind of uh, i think it's got a g3 actually right. yeah it was a g3 so it's it's just like a big bulky rifle man, right. right 
uh, with like a fixed butt stock, like an M16. He right. comes over and like the guy and uh, that's getting proggy and just fucking bah, clocks him over right the fucking the dome with the butt stock of his rifle and just like does it like three or four more times. Oh my god! That's and so yeah, brutal. he stopped fucking doing that. And we were all just up in our gun tower, like. Dude, oh yeah, fuck that dude up. It's a different world over there. They don't have fucking CNN to be like, did you see what yeah. this guy did? And fucking raise hell on Twitter. Yeah, we would just like, sit there and be like, dude, imagine being a prisoner in a third world country's jail, like military. Like, dude, they are like fucking you up, dude. I, I that's our advantage. So there was one village. There were these two brothers who were like some of the big wigs for Al-Qaeda in our area. And they these assholes, they had a pretty good information network. So... There was a couple of dudes in all these villages. So as we roll out of the fob, they'd have guys watching and they start making phone calls. And they, hey, these guys called it. So they, they'd be tracking which way we were going. And if, if we started looking like we were going to go up toward that village, they'd call those dudes. Those guys would bug out. Right. But we went up there to go try to hit these guys. We thought we'd sneak out. Well, they still got tipped off. So we roll up on this village and kick in the door, storm the house. And the, the mom's like, oh, this son, my son over here, he went to Baghdad last week. And the other one went to Kurdistan. And it's like, this dude's an Arab. First off, we know the bitch is lying because if he went to Kurdistan, they would fucking kill him. But uh, we we did manage to capture like the twelve year old brother. Yeah. And so we were questioning, like, "Where's your brother? Where's your brother?" I, said, I don't know. I don't know. So I looked at my Iraqi army lieutenant friend. I'm like, "Tell you what, I want you to take him into the chicken coop over there. I don't care. What, you <laughs> you interrogate him however you want. Come back to me within like the next three to five minutes and, and with whatever you got." So I'm just standing out there and I hear slap, slap, and he comes out and goes, yeah, he says they got called, they got uh, tipped off about 10 minutes before you guys got here. They went this way and like, oh, okay. Iraqi <laughs> <laughs> solutions for Iraqi problems, man. They, we couldn't touch them like that. But we, Hey, do your thing, guys. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, Caleb, what do you what do you know about the Kurds, by the way? Um, I think I don't know if we've talked about them because a lot of people a lot of people always hear about the Kurds. I don't know if they know. About... I know they're a delicious cheesy snack. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so uh, mm-hmm. tell tell because uh, I'm I'm guarantee you like there's maybe like five people that know about the Kurds that will listen to us regularly. So yeah, yeah, they're they're an ethnic minority group. Um, kind of scattered throughout the Middle East, but you know, there's, we, we had a lot of more like northern Iraq from where. Yeah, they they mostly live in like the northern, like northern Iraqi yeah. area. Well, North. that was who Saddam was going after, right? So what Obviously, happened? What happened with Kurds. that? Why yeah. Saddam was going after the Kurds was because during the Iran Iraq War in the eighties, like Iraq and Iran were but fighting each from other. What I understand, the Kurds are some bad motherfuckers, right? They are, yeah, they're yeah. fighters, man. They've been yeah. fighting for a long time, but That's they started thought, fighting yeah. because Iran armed them. Like Iran, when the Iran and Iraq were fighting each okay. other, Iran funded okay. Kurdish in, insurgency okay. fighting Iraqis. And what happened was uh, the Saddam, like, in, instead of, like, using military and fighting an insurgency, just fucking, like, uh, chlorine gassed them all. And, like, oh, it, my God. Yeah, killed, like, a he, he gassed, like, a compound or something like that that had a bunch of civilians on it, too. Was, was right. Like, it had a bunch of Kurdish insurgents, but their families were there and everything. So it just Jesus killed Christ. all the families. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So they're, they're an ethnic minority group. Um, but... The, the, you're right. Like their security force, the Peshmerga, are fucking on point. Those guys are pretty damn good. Um, so we had Kanakin, which is a Kurdish city in the north. Again, the tanks couldn't go that far, so the Bradleys would go up there once in a while. That place was secure. Like they, they had their own security and shit. So when our guys would go up there, they could literally just put take off all their body armor, leave their weapons in the Bradleys, leave it wide open, and nobody would touch that shit. Like you were a guest there, they would they would defend you to the death. Mm-hmm. There, there was a point where there was a almost an international incident. 
where somehow the Iraqi army and them got into it. And they're like the Iraqis rolled a bunch of tanks up and surrounded the, the city. And like, <laughs> and so as a tanker, I'm like, holy shit, I'm like at the chance to smoke a T-72. <laughs> that, that It created a problem because we're there supporting the legitimate government of Iraq, which the Iraqi army is a representative piece of. The Kurds, who are a minority group, which we're also trying to protect, you know, they're kind of like, they're not the aggressors. They get picked on. I was like, well, shit, who do you help out? It got bad enough they actually had to call in a U.N. negotiation team. To get <laughs> our our guys, our, our scouts had to escort them up there, and, like, they are up there for, I don't know how many days, like at least almost a week. So that's, that's yeah, it's that's, kind of like when you're a kid and your parents want you to take sides in a fight and you just go to your room. Yeah, but imagine you had, like, 12 parents, <laughs> and they were all wanting you to do that. Well, yeah. in 2019. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. That's yeah. that's why the the Kurds and the Iraqis historically don't like each other because of like what well, really tinged because like there was an armed insurgency of Kurdish mm-hmm. you know fighting the Iraqis and the now the Americans are there like and I'm like no you guys get along we're like oh, but he hit me and they're yeah. like no but he hit me yeah yeah and they the Kurds, are, the Kurds are really westernized too like they're pretty right. cool yeah they, they they said like you go up there they have, like malls and girls in miniskirts and shit a lot of yeah them. but they oh, lost really? they lost a lot of their ancestral territory to a bunch of the Arab people over there mm. but they have like what I think they call like a 30-year plan so no job can be out that way and this week their checkpoint would be like right here they have like just a couple of dudes there some little with a little shack and you go back up there like in a week or two and it's like 10 feet down the road and you go yeah. back later it's like 10 more feet like was it your was it your checkpoint back there nope it's always been right here so they're just occupying by force like they just keep moving that checkpoint down a little further to yeah <laughs> <laughs> very uh, slowly yeah, but uh, yeah, so Iraq was interesting. We we lost some dudes over there, and again, because we, we didn't get the MRAPs in time, so it was deemed a priority. Uh, lost uh, our commander, his gunner, his loader, and one of our Category 2 interpreters, someone actually had a secret clearance. Um, it was three 105 rounds top of white phosphorus underneath the Humvee. Jesus. So, white phosphorus is like the, fi- like the fire rounds. Yeah, they're, they're, are those illegal? Like, uh, no, they're actually Geneva not. Convention? No, oh, they're they are not. not. Uh, a lot of times we use white phosphorus or WP. They, they call them Willie Peets, I think. And they used them in NOM. We use them for like ordnance disposal. So like we grab up once we were like done fucking up uh, an objective. We grab up all the all the like their weapons or something. We just toss a white phosphorus grenade on it to burn it all, melt it all. Oh, okay. Yeah. That's not true because like our artillery, we have Willie Peet rounds because it creates that smoke effect. So it, it has a because of the heat signature stuff, it creates more of a. A thermal block for enemy uh, thermals. So mm-hmm. we do use it, but if you happen to also drop Willie Pete onto the enemy, fuck them because they're going to burn. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was pretty shitty. And they, they eventually caught the guy because when I say that shit burns, so we tried, to put, out, <laughs> we tried to put out the fire with uh, fire extinguishers. That didn't work. We used every bottle of water. That didn't work. Uh, it, it ate, literally ate through the fire retardant blankets. That's how bad it was. Mm-hmm. Oh my God. Now, they. I almost lost two more guys because the Humvee was upside down on fire. And uh, one of the guys was on top of the Humvee. He had a, a fire extinguisher in one hand and the commander's body was on top. And he was, he had the commander trying to get it unwedged. And the, like the fire is like up to this dude's knees. And he's trying to put the fire out. And that's when the rounds inside the vehicle start cooking off. So, cause it, it was so hot. So I'm watching traces stream by him. Another dude was coming from up the side. He was trying to go help out too. And so rounds are going by him. I'm going to get the fuck out of there. Um, but the guy that was running from the side, his best friend was one of the guys that was in, in the vehicle. Um, and so only we, all, we had just one survivor, that one. He had burns over 60% of his body, spent two years 
Hang on one. Yeah, incendiary gun weapons aren't actually illegal by Geneva either. It's just you can't use them. There, it, it sets like a, a parameter for like how close you can use them to like civilian areas. So like if you're out way out in the fucking desert or a field somewhere, mm-hmm. you can use flamethrowers still if you fucking if right. you wanted to. Like we could. Right. Like, yeah. Right. Yeah. We still have flamethrowers, but you're not supposed to use it on people. You're supposed to use it like. Oh, hey, look, here's a poppy field that we don't want them to have. So, you know, theoretically, you burn yeah. it. Yeah. It's, like, it's not like World War II where you'd see a bunker and be like, no, fuck everyone in there and just, no. yeah. Well, that's because they just, the, I mean, insurgencies, they don't have those. Yeah. You know? I mean, they do, but it's not like World War II where, like, there's, yeah, it's not like that. They, yeah. uh, the uh, fucking, uh, the uh they used them like a lot in nom because like yeah. they would use like white phosphorus to like burn down burn burn down like areas where they have like spider holes in or something or yeah. like yeah they'll they'll use them up in iraq to burn equipment or fucking sucks yeah getting hit with one of them because I mean, the thing is is like it's like it's like a liquid kind of mm-hmm. or something like and it burns how so like you, it gets on your skin it sticks onto it and it how burns. does it how do you put it out or do you not you have to let it run its course so after yeah. when the when our quick reaction force came out to the scene to help us with, you know, get the bodies and shit like that. Um, and also to help recover the destroyed vehicle, uh, the Navy explosive explosives ordnance disposal team came out because you know, we were in the middle of nowhere. So we had a small Navy EOD attached with like four dudes. They came out, examined the blast site because they have the scientific method to measure it, to see what was used, what the guy started using this metal pick to dig into the hole right off the bat. As soon as that that new dirt was exposed, it flared up. He says, "Yep, white phosphorus." So as soon as it's exposed to air, it ignites again. Mm, so yeah, holy it's shit! Like, it's like a powder. So if it gets on your clothes, once it's been ignited, that shit will just keep burning until it's exhausted itself. Yeah. It, holy shit! Oxygen source. Yeah. Holy shit! That's mm. some fucking intense shit, man. Yeah, man. It's it's not pretty for sure. Like, no, <laughs> I couldn't. Yeah. Like, what do you do if it gets on like a person, like on your skin? You gotta try try your best to use something to maybe wipe it off. You try to wash it off with water. Water won't put it out, but at least you can try to flush it off the skin. Yeah. Uh, but it's yeah, it's good luck on that. Like I said, we had one survivor, um, and burns were about sixty percent of his body. But at least you know what parts of his body worked because after he came back and went through all the treatments, he's had like five or six more kids. So obviously some shit still. Yeah. Worked. <laughs> obviously still worked. the dick was still intact. Yeah, that's <laughs> like that's like the scariest thing about being out there, man. Is like. Like, yeah, a bomb or something might go off and you might survive it. But, yeah, what if it's – I mean, shrapnel will cut your dick off. Like, oh, yeah, it'll God. cut your balls up. and tear your life. Yeah. Lose your dick, man. Yeah, man. Oh, it's not, not good. No. I think <laughs> – well, what's that? It, I mean, it depends on how big the shrapnel is where – but, yeah, it's it, a lot of times, like, my mom, she's always like, aren't you scared? I'm like, no, if it's your day, it's your day. Um, right. Like the day that our guys died, we weren't supposed to be out there, that, at least on that, that section of road that day. It just so happened we were out there. We were supposed to take the tanks out, but my wingman's tank, he had just gotten it fixed. We rolled 200 feet outside the gate. It broke down. So we switched back to the Humvees, rolled out. The commander decided to go with us that day. And we were doing what we called uh, snap traffic control points, just random you know, little stopping points. We'd get out, search random vehicles, and then move around. And right around the time we were supposed to go back in, um, I said, hey, sir, it's time for us to roll back. And he says, well, Red Platoon is just a couple miles from here. They found a bunch of old munitions, like grenades that were like so old that they actually like holes and shit in them. They're just you know, rusted away. <laughs> they're waiting for EOD to get out there. I don't want to leave them alone in case some shit happens. So let's go you know, from this route over here, over here, over here. I'm like, 
all right, well, no one's been out that way for a while. It's mostly dirt roads. We'll just, okay, that's fine. Mm-hmm. And the, the thing that sucked was, so we're going on these dirt roads that no one's been for a while. And in the middle of the road, there was like this old IED crater. And the dudes over there were like, they're lazy. They don't have a lot of time. So they would just throw IEDs in the old craters instead of having to dig a new one. And then, but we knew that. So, okay, we see that. Well, bisecting the road was, they called it an underground, like I think it was oil pipeline. It says underground, but really it was like waist high, just covered with dirt. So it was above ground, but it went like under the road and that shit ran all the way to a ram. And uh, dude was waiting there that day. Um, they went back and looked at satellite imagery after the fact. And they seen like the, the night before he, he went to some abandoned house and then went to the exact IED spot and then went up to the, the height spot where it was like this destroyed house straight down where the, the pipeline went. And he ran copper wire all the way down the side of that little berm. And what he did, instead of putting the IED in the freaking crater, he put it, he actually dug a hole in the, right next to it because they knew that we would try to avoid it. Mm. So our first vehicle had what we called a mine roller, just a big, heavy, like, uh, set of wheels. This way, if it was like what we call a crush wire, where they set it up so they have to be a couple of rulers or woods or that. And if, when you put enough pressure, it connects the contacts, closes that circuit, and sets off the IED. Well, this time it was a command detonated. So he had the wires hooked up to the IED, run the wires all the way down that pipeline to where he was and had the wires attached to the battery on his motorcycle. And he was using that that uh, that pipeline as a timer. So the first truck goes by and he's okay. So then, then, then my truck goes by. And so we were swerve around that damn IED crater because we know that there could be shit there. So basically we're rolling right over the IED. And so then the commander's truck and he just set it off because he, he was timing it, per, you know, just... So he used the first two vehicles, the timing, okay, it takes this long for them to go, step on it, set it off, and blew it up right underneath them. So, Jesus Christ. They're smart. They're smart. That's the kind of shit they do, dude. There. Yeah, You got to be, you know, when you're outgunned and yeah. that way, I mean, technology is way fucking, those people are still in the same. You remember me telling you, though, making a bomb ain't that hard. So. <laughs> you sure you want to say that on the air? Yeah, Nick fine. is on another watch list. Yeah, we're fine. <laughs> Finally, he oh. says Get them on a watch list. Not me. I'm ready on a watch list. Yeah, right, I think I think that would say we have been. Well, he was going to say something. What's up? But we'll see. But as far as that, the war was different in every different part of the country. So where we were, again, they would just go out and grab old anti-tank mines, stuff like that, throw it out on the road. Oftentimes, we didn't have anybody to shoot at. But the guys up in Mosul were fighting because they were actually we were in what we were essentially an interdiction force because mm-hmm. they were funneling in munitions, particularly uh, like the penetrating IEDs from Iran all the way through to the big cities like Baghdad and Mosul. So we were trying to interdict a lot of that shit. Like, no joke, kid you not, there was a donkey farm, like in the northeastern corner of where our operations were. You could go and rent donkeys at this place. And what the dudes would do is they'd rent a number of donkeys, go across the border into Iran, buy munitions, and then take them across, take them back into Iraq. And so it's like, all right. So, but yeah, so, we always got warnings about uh, these special kind of like rockets that w- they would call it like an RPG head. They call them RKG threes, but have like a little parachute in the back. Mm, they're, they're, yeah. The Russian anti-tank grenades is what yes. they were. Yeah. So what they do is they'd run up alongside your vehicle, throw it up. And then as it would come down, the old parachute would help kind of stabilize it because the armor is not as thick on the top of the armor vehicles because it's just mm. right you know, in front of you. And they can land an open tank or open like gun turrets and like, yeah. like Humvees and stuff yeah. too. Yeah. 
we, we always got warned about that. We didn't see it, but the guys up in like Mosul and Baghdad, they were seeing that shit mm-hmm. and it was being funneled through our area. So we were trying to interject. We, they would, they would do little shit in Mosul, like hang. So like, you know, where's Mosul? Sorry. Well, Mosul is really far North Iraq. Okay. It's like one of the That's northernmost cities. Okay. It's like right by Syria. Like here's Iraq, right? Mm-hmm. Like it's like right there. There's Syria. Like mm-hmm. Iran's like over here. Yeah. But so what they would do in a Mosul too is, uh, and the reason why you'd start seeing the turrets and like Humvees and stuff have like, the hoods over them mm-hmm. and like little bars and everything. It's because they would in the cities when people, you know, you'd be driving through, they'd hang razor wire across yeah. the sit, like across Jesus. the whole street. So like unexposed turret gunner, you know, if he's just got his head there, it's neck. Yeah, oh, just so, driving through. Okay, it. so I've, yeah, because I've seen those pictures and I always mm-hmm. wondered why they did that. Yeah, that's okay, fucking you wild. PVC, you take PVC pipe and you attach the front of the vehicle and run it just in an arc. This way, if you get like piano wire or whatever it is, it would hit that and just go up and over. Yep, just goes over him. They don't they don't make any turrets anymore now where it's just an open top turret, like where yeah. like your gunner is just sitting up there in his head. It's just like, like Jesus. They, they don't do that anymore. It's too easy yeah. to fuck him up without having anybody there. So before we go, because we're running up on an hour here, um, do you want to tell your award story or no? Um, I don't I don't have the I guess I could read the citation, but they're just basically as an officer, as a platoon leader for the things that I did uh, in Iraq, leading the men um, through several life and death situations and rolling up a number of bad dudes and stuff. Yeah, I was awarded a bronze star for that. Nice. Um, and so it's something that's on my record, something I can be proud of. And um, yeah, just I wish I could have brought back all my guys, but unfortunately. Yeah, it's always, that's always the biggest thing. Losing people. Yeah, I, can, yeah, I couldn't even imagine. Biggest thing, man. It's fucking well. Thank you so much for coming on, man. Yeah, hey Tom, we gotta have you on here again, man. I know that ain't I know that ain't all your stories, dude. But hours <laughs> never enough. No, it's yeah. never enough for anybody. I, I wish we could go Rogan and do three hours, but people would want to fucking kill us. Yeah. <laughs> but I got a PT test in the morning, so I need to get my ass into bed anyway. Cool. Yeah, I got it. All righty. All right. Well, thank you so much, man. Bread and Circuses, Caleb Salvatore. Yeah, this is Nick Kohler, Deuces. Make sure you guys go check the Facebook page for Big Bill Media. Go throw us a like on YouTube. We're on all the podcast networks. Yep. Seriously, we we made a shirt. It's it just says Omaha Beach, man. It's like, you know, it's a tank top. It's the Omaha. But so, like, we're. Paying ode to D-Day and our roots here in Omaha. Yeah. It says Omaha Beach. It's like a beach bum tank top. It's yeah, fucking awesome. it's hilarious, dude. <laughs> We're going to be rocking that during the summer like every fucking episode, man. It's so great. All right, fucking All right. deuces. Thanks, man. See y'all later. Okay. See ya, Tom. Hey, appreciate it, again. That's, that's where it's going to cut out there. But uh, okay. hey.